Good morning, everyone. Really excited to be here this morning. And uh, I, I just love that since we've gotten this uh, building, we've been able to uh, do so much more to bless our community. And, and uh, one of the things that I'm hoping for is that that just continues, right? We don't want to just stop here. We believe that we've been called to be a light to the world. And, um, and so that's exactly what we're going to be trying to do. And, and so that's going to be exciting. Today we start a brand new series. It's called Yours Truly, and it's talking about um, Jesus. And so let's read from John chapter 1. Uh, verse 1, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And let's just pray as we get into this morning. Dear Jesus, I pray that who you are uh, comes to life for us today. I pray that we get to meet you, encounter you, and, and, and give ourselves afresh to you. So God, I pray that our hearts be open, our eyes be open, our minds be open to comprehend and to, uh, to receive you in the way that you want to reveal yourself this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, Christmas is a time that... Christians reflect on the birth of Jesus, right? Yes? Agreed? Yes, that's what we, that's what we do. And, and I love uh, Becky and I and a, and a few people. We went for a carols thing on Friday night. Friday night? Yes. And uh, as we look through the lyrics, people who are not Christian sing about the birth of Jesus. It is kind of the thing that we understand. This is what Christmas is all about. And over this week and next week, we're going to be exploring why Jesus is the best gift that has ever been given to us. And the way that we're going to do so is to explore two key aspects of who Jesus is. And that is that Jesus is truly God and Jesus is truly man. Uh, over this two weeks, it's probably a little bit different from what we usually do. But Becky and I, we really felt this year that we wanted to get into uh, the, the, the real foundation of our faith. Who are we worshipping? Over the last half an hour, we've sung songs about the goodness of God and all that He's done. Do we actually understand the gravity of what Jesus has done? And it's all locked up, in, not locked up, it's contained in this thought that Jesus is both God and Jesus was also man. And so this week, I'll be exploring uh, what we might call the divinity of Jesus, why we believe that Jesus is divine. Why does that even matter to us today? And, and, and you know, before we get into that, I know that for some of you, it might be a surprise, but there are people um, uh, that don't actually believe that Jesus was real. They, they think that, I saw this little thing the other day where, where people called God Sky Daddy. And it's just like, oh... It's gross. This is weird. We went to um, uh, uh, this Christmas fair, and, and Sam got some, uh, he got a hand painting because it was, yeah, yeah, we didn't want to put it on his face. And, um, and, and, and they were all dressed up in Christmas stuff, and they were all like, oh, hello there, fairy friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, fairy friends. I was just like, I don't know if I want my son anywhere close to this stuff. But you know, there's this idea that God is just this made-up fairy thing, and, 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 and that's just how a lot of people think about things. 
And he's like, why would you believe in some fictional character? So before we talk about the divinity of God or divinity of Jesus, I just want to lay a very quick foundation that Jesus isn't a made-up character that Christians somehow just decided to put together in order to have someone to worship, but rather Jesus is a historical figure. And there is a ton of evidence about this that we don't have time to go through. Um, and it's not just because the Bible told us so, but rather they are what we might call extra biblical, and that just means that it's outside of the Bible. So the Bible, obviously, as we just read, talks about Jesus a lot, uh, but outside of the Bible, there are other historical sources that talk about the existence of Jesus, and there are many sources that aren't even Christian. So the fact that they, there are people that were writing about Jesus means that he was an extremely significant uh, person. And like I mentioned, for the sake of time, we might talk about this another day, or we might maybe put it on our socials or something. Uh, but, but one thing that I want to uh, show to you is an archaeological find um, that, that was discovered in 1961. So that's only about 60 years ago. See, since um, a long time ago, one of the biggest criticisms about the existence of Jesus as a historical figure is that Jesus died under the, I guess you will, the judgment of a man named Pontius Pilate. That's what we read about in our Bibles. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of that area. And so many people criticized the idea that Jesus was real because if Jesus was real, then the person that, that, that crucified him essentially would be noted in historical records. But yet, the name Pontius Pilate doesn't actually uh, come up in any historical record. There was no trace of Pontius Pilate for years and years, and so this debate raged on. It's like, come on, how can Jesus be a real historical figure if the person that killed him isn't even found in history, All right? So that was the argument that was going on and on and on and on and on until in 1961 in Caesarea, this stone was found, and it's called today the Pilate Stone. It's called the Pilate Stone because Pilate's name is literally found on it. It's a historical find. It was an archaeological find. It's dated to exactly the time uh, uh, of Jesus. And so we know that Pontius Pilate was a person that really existed. And for some strange reason, there are all these amazing uh, uh, things that point out that Jesus is real, but people just blindly say Jesus is some kind of sky daddy, fairy, figment of our imagination. And I reckon that the biggest reason why people think that is because we think that Jesus is divine. It's because we don't, like people go, oh yeah, yeah, cool, I see the stone, Pilate's name's on it. Sure, Pilate was a real historical figure. But Jesus, I have doubts. Why? Because Jesus did crazy things like walk on the water, raise people from the dead, open blind eyes, cast out demons. He died on a cross, and yet you say that he lived again three days later. There is something crazy about Jesus that we don't like. In fact, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that one of the greatest reasons why we don't believe in Jesus is because we don't believe that there is something supernatural that can occur in this world today. But as a church, we need to really look into this because if Jesus wasn't divine, then what the heck are we doing here? If Jesus isn't divine, then why do we worship Him? But if Jesus is divine, then we got to watch how we worship. 
We've got to watch what our lives are like because if Jesus is divine, it changes everything about how our lives should be. So as we go through uh, a bit of church history in this next moment, I know we're covering a, a fair bit of ground. I'm going to try to give you, I guess, a bit of that intellectual space just so that you know that our faith isn't based on some story or fairy tale, but it's actually based on history. Is There's so much stuff that we can know that has brought us to this point today. And so even uh, just 300 years after the death of Jesus... Um, the church leaders of the world came together, of the, well, I should say the European world, because that's where, um, and that's where the church was kind of congregated in that time in history, and they met together at a council called the Ni- Council of Ni- Nicaea, N-I-C-E-A, Nicaea, the Council of Nicaea. Now, these councils are basically where, um, uh, because the Roman state had become Christian, um, they sponsored the church to bring all their leaders together to have a debate and to say, what do we actually believe? So in the year 325 AD, um, the Council on Nicaea came together, and this is what they summarize as uh, the key aspects of who Jesus is. There's actually a whole Nicene creed, and one day, maybe next year, we might go through a series called Heresies and Creeds because it actually helps us to understand what we are supposed to be believing in. But I just want to read the section uh, of the Nicene Creed that talks about who Jesus is, all right? I think it's going to come up on the screen. It's a bit small. You can take a picture, zoom in. And it says this, uh, this is what we believe. We believe in God the Father and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. This is important because we know that Jesus was begotten. Why? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son. But it says, but not made, because that's important, because Jesus wasn't something that God created, rather He is God Himself. He was begotten from the Father, but He was not made by the Father. Important point. Um, Next line, of the same essence as the Father, which is a really important thing, of the same essence, is of the same substance as the Father. Through Him all things were made for us and for our salvation. Such an important point, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. Pastor Vic will talk about that next week. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. This is what Christians have been confessing uh, since 325 AD in this creed. This is what we believe. This is the essence of who Jesus is. And then 130 years later, because uh, what tends to happen is that some people, they start to teach some stuff that kind of skews a little bit and is actually not just a little bit, but a lot. And that's called heresy. And then the councils are called together in early church history to correct the heresy. And so, So, uh, 130 years later, in 451 AD, uh, the Council of Chalcedon met together and they coined this phrase that Jesus is truly God and truly man. So, 1600 years 
The church has been confessing that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And this is something that they debated over. This is something that actually divided some of the church because some people went, no, 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 Jesus wasn't truly God or Jesus wasn't truly man. That was a thing that divided people. And there are some people, maybe even in this church today, that struggle with either the concept that Jesus is truly God or Jesus is truly man. And so we want to talk about that. And it's really important that we understand that this is our Christian faith. This is, you know, there are things about our Christian faith that we can debate about, that we can disagree about. We can debate about whether the world was made in seven days or whether it was made in, I don't know, thousands of years. That is up for debate. That is okay. We can debate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like, and we can debate about that, and it's fine. But we cannot actually disagree on whether Jesus is truly God and truly man without actually Understanding that we are, if we disagree on that, we, we have a different faith. Because our faith comes back to who Jesus is. Our faith comes back to, to what the Bible describes as what Jesus did and who he was and, and his nature. And if we disagree on this, we are actually disagreeing on something so fundamental that we have a different faith. This is something that is really important. If you ask me why are there some of these, uh, you know, other kind of religions that we don't actually agree with, for example, Mormonism, is because they disagree on the true nature of Jesus, whether he's truly God and truly man. Why do we say that they're not Christians? It's because they don't believe in the same Christ. They've made up a different version of Christ that is not found in our scriptures. That is what it comes down to. So how do we know that Jesus is God? What is the evidence for that? And this is all found in the Bible. And um, someone way smarter than me created this acronym to summarize four of the super key points that we can understand in the Bible, and it's called HAND, H-A-N-D. And the first letter is H, uh, which represents, or it stands for honor. See, the Bible is actually really clear that there's only one God that can be worshipped. In the Old Testament, his revealed name is Yahweh. He's the God that we worship. And the Bible tells us that no other gods can be worshipped except him. And so it's really interesting that in the New Testament, as Jesus is walking around and doing stuff, that he is actually worshipped. And when he is worshipped, Jesus accepts the worship. If he was not God and he accepted the worship, he was actually going to be a blasphemer. He was actually meant to be killed for receiving worship that was not rightly his. So obviously, Jesus was okay with being worshipped because Jesus is God. Let me give you one example. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus calms a storm, um, and he's with his disciples in this boat, and the disciples, they see that Jesus has done something that is crazy beyond their imagination. What is, it, what is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? And so in Matthew 14, 33, we read this little verse, which might seem inconsequential, but it says, and they fell down and worshipped him. The disciples had a revelation that this guy is God, and therefore I am allowed. These were Jewish men. They knew that if they worshipped anyone other than God, they were going to be 
killed. They were going to be stoned for their indiscretion. But in that moment, they fell down and they worshipped Jesus, and Jesus went, you're right. You know, when Jesus entered Jerusalem in the week leading up to his death, it is what we call the triumphal entry. He rode in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and people lined the streets. They put down his cloaks, and they said, Whether is he who comes in the name of God? They were saying, You are the Messiah. And Jesus didn't go, oh, No, 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 don't do that, guys. Don't do that. That's only reserved for God. No, he went, cool. And in fact, some people questioned him and said, hey, you need to stop the kids from worshiping you. And said, hey, if I tell them to shut up, the stones will cry out in their place. Jesus had no problem with being worshipped. Now, I have a problem with being worshipped. Why? Because I'm not God. It's weird if you start worshipping me. Don't do that. I know you are inclined to sometimes, (laughs) but that's not for me. It's reserved for God alone. But Jesus had no problem with it because he is God. Why? Because he is honored in the same level as God is. I want you to just pause and think about this. Do you give Jesus the right amount of honor? Do you, as a person who's had his revelation of who Jesus is, understanding that he is God, what's your worship like? Because if Jesus is God, We need to worship him as God, not mate, not genie. If you call him Sky Daddy, I'll slap you. (laughs) He is not any of that. He is God. He deserves all of our worship. We read in John chapter 1 that he created the heavens and the earth. If we don't worship him as God, we are the ones that have a problem with our revelation of who he is. It doesn't matter what we've gone through in our lives. It doesn't matter the suffering or the pain or the success and the wealth. Jesus is still God. And if we don't worship him as God, we are actually failing as believers. And that's something that's really important. I just want to leave that with you. That wasn't the main point, but I wanted to leave that there because I think that it's great when we come together as a church to worship. When we come together as a church, we're coming together with the family of God, the believers, and we are lifting up our praise. Why? Not because it makes us feel better, but because it is God that we're worshiping. And so if you're struggling to get here on time, put something in place. Why? Because coming together to worship our God is actually something that is so worth it. Get here 10 minutes early, chat with people, get yourself ready, check your kids in. Get here because Jesus is God and He deserves our worship. I worship Him with everything that I am, with my intellect, with my lips, with my ears, with my heart, with my body, with my time, with my finances. Every part of me needs to be placing Jesus rightly as God of my life. Why is it important that Jesus is God? This is only the first point, guys. I hope that something is like, hang on, who who, who is it that I'm worshiping? Have I created a Jesus that is so compliant to me that I forget that he's due my worship? Have I overemphasized his grace so that I forget that he's also creator? Have I so forgotten, uh, so overemphasized his mercy that I forget that he's also just and holy and set apart? Jesus as God is both gracious 
and merciful and just and omniscient and holy and worthy of all praise. Jesus takes a place of honor that is reserved for only God. The second way that we can know that Jesus is God is the letter A, which is the word attributes. Attributes. Attributes, sorry. And what we know about this is that Jesus shares the same attributes as God. No other human being before or after comes anywhere close to exhibiting the same attributes that Jesus did. Jesus was able to do things that is only possible if he is divine. He was able to control the weather. We've talked about that already. He's able to know the thoughts and what is in the hearts of people. He, he, in, the, in the Gospels, it shows us that Jesus forgives sins. And he's the only one who can forgive sins. None of us can forgive sins. In fact, this was, this was one of the reasons why there was a huge schism in the Catholic Church because people were saying that apart from Jesus, you can buy these indulgences to, to, to get rid of sin in people's lives. And it was like, no. Martin Luther said, no, there's a problem here. The only person, the only way that sins are forgiven is through the blood of the Lamb, is through Jesus. But Jesus, even while he was walking on earth, he already said, your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because he holds the attributes of God. He is able to forgive sins because he is God. He is able uh, to do things that no other person can. I mean, if anyone else can multiply two fish and five loaves in, and feed 5,000 people, we will love you on team here at this church. We will love you and help us with start up our feeding program. All day you'll be breaking stuff and they'll just be multiplying and we'll give it out. Why doesn't that happen more often? Because we are not flipping God. You can cook stuff, you can buy stuff, but Jesus makes stuff. He's able to create out of nothing. He's able to make eyes grow back, legs grow, and legs be strengthened, and, and the dead to rise. That is the person that we serve and we worship. Why? Because he holds the attributes of God. Do you understand that Jesus has all the power, all the character of God. When we worship Him, are you understanding that over your circumstances, over what is going on, this is God that we're worshiping? And to some extent, if you're in a hard place, if God has allowed it, maybe there's something good that will come out of it. Because we know that one of the attributes of God is that He is good and that He's just. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond everything that we hope or imagine. When we worship Him, we are not pleading with Him for good stuff. We are remembering that He is a God who gives good things. He is a God who is good. Let us remember that Jesus has demonstrated His divinity through His attributes. Another one that is really cool, and that's the next point, and that's the letter N. And as the Bible contains a whole bunch of names of Jesus that is, frankly, godlike. 
So for example, in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, it says that Jesus has been given the name above every other name. What we need to understand is that back in those days, a name represents um, who the person is and what the person does. It is, uh, if you will, maybe we can use the word prophetic as a prophetic declaration over this person. And so when we say that Jesus is the name over every other name, it means that Jesus has authority over every other thing, basically. So, so when you go back to Genesis and when you see Adam naming all the animals, it is not just giving names. It is, uh, when you understand from the Jewish mindset, he's having authority over everything. The one who has authority gives names to other things. And so when it says that Jesus has the name over every other names, he is the first one to be named, in other words. He's the first one with all the authority, and so that's what that means. Jesus is straight out called God in John chapter 20, verse 28. He's called Lord in Acts chapter 1, verse 29. He's the King of Kings in Revelations 19, verse 16. He's called our Savior in Luke 2, 11. He's called the first and the last in Revelation 1, 7 to 8, if you really like to look for that. You know, you can just put names of Jesus into Google and you can have all these references, read them for yourselves. But the fact that Jesus was given these names that no one else has is because he is basically being called God in the Bible. Finally, we come to the letter D and, um, and the letter D represents deeds. Jesus did things that only God can do. I know that this is very close to attributes um, but it's different in that these were things that Jesus did that showcase uh, and were meant to be pointing people uh, to who He is. The Bible calls them signs and wonders. They're called signs because they point to something. What are they pointing? They're pointing to Jesus' divinity. So we talked about how Jesus was able to uh, um, uh, heal the sick. He was able to raise the dead. He's able to do all of these things. Why? Because He has a power that, frankly, is beyond us. And this is one of the greatest sticking points in our modern mindset. We don't believe in miracles anymore unless they are Hallmark movies about Christmas and Santa. We will suspend our belief to have a little, oh, that is so nice. But when we talk about Jesus is able to do these things, we struggle with that. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus is God because He's able to do God-like stuff. And what Jesus has demonstrated is that God is very willing to be involved in your life and in my life. Jesus is very willing to do things to bring life and light and health into your lives. So when we have sickness in our bodies, we pray for the sick because the Bible tells us to and because we believe that our God is able to do those things. It might not happen on the first time that we pray, it might not happen on the second, on the fifth or the tenth time. But we continue to believe that our God is able to do and perform miracles. As a pastor involved in the church world, I'm seeing that there's actually an uptick in churches that are, that are uh, preparing for God to do more. Why? Because they're starting to see miracles break out in their churches. We can't believe that God is not just one who healed 2,000 years ago. He continues to heal today. We can believe that God is not just at work 2,000 years ago to prove that He is alive and active in our will. He is still doing things today. 
And as a church, I hope that we are excited about what God is able to do, what Jesus is able to do. But one of the key deeds that I want to point out to you that points to Jesus' divinity is His resurrection. Our Christian faith rises and falls on Jesus' resurrection. See, the cross that Jesus was crucified on was meant to, and it was designed to erase people from history. That's what the cross is meant to do. It, it, it was extremely successful at doing so. Because back in those days in history, people would write about the atrocities of the cross. The greatest oppression known in history in that time was the cross. If someone was crucified, they were erased. Their family was put to shame. Their record was scratched off from the books. Jesus was meant to be cancelled. That's what the cross would have effectively done. We don't know many people who were crucified, even though we know that thousands of people were crucified. Why? Because the cross was an extremely effective eraser. But why do we still believe in Jesus? Is because the cross did not win, but rather Jesus did. He rose from the dead. He predicted his death and resurrection perform both of them, and that's how we can know that we can trust every single word that he says. And there's some of the things that he says. Now, this is part of why some people struggle with the divinity of Jesus, is because Jesus didn't have a definitive way of saying, hey guys, worship me, I am God. He did not say it in those words. However, the Bible is clear enough, especially if you struggle with this, read the book of John. Now, the Gospel of John is not my favorite gospel because John is probably a bit too artistic for my liking. He uses poetry, and I'm kind of like, come on, man, get to the point. But he's very effective at getting the point across that Jesus is actually Lord. And so in John 8, 38, this is what Jesus himself says. This is not what other people are saying about Jesus. This is what Jesus says about himself. In John 8, 38, he says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Abraham was known as the father of the faith, the father of the nation of Israel. And Jesus was basically saying to the Jewish audience, hey, you think that Abraham was your father? I was before him. Now, how can anyone say that they, are, they existed before Abraham, who lived at that point in time thousands of years ago, unless he is God? And he also cheekily uses the phrase, I am, which in the Jewish understanding, when you, he didn't say, he didn't say, I was. He didn't say, before Abraham uh, uh, was born, I was there. He just said, before Abraham was, I am. Why? Because that is a designation for how God revealed himself. I am the fully sufficient self. I do not need anything. I exist before everything. I exist after everything. I am God. Jesus was saying, I am God. The second time, or a second example is in John 10, 30, where he says, where Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father am one, are one. What that means is that he's, a, he's basically, basically saying, kind of like what we read in the Nicene Creed, that he comes and he's from the same substance as God the Father. 
the same substance. He was basically saying, I am God. This second example got Jesus in trouble, and people wanted to literally kill him then and then for blaspheming. And why was it such a big deal? Is because Jesus was claiming to be God. That was what was going on. And so we can see that Jesus himself claimed to be God. I hope through all of this that there's something in you that goes, okay, Jesus is God. I get it, Nate. So let's just talk about something quickly. Why does Jesus being God matter to us today? And the key point that I want to leave with you is that if Jesus wasn't God, we would not have salvation. For all the things that we struggle with, the sin and the corruption in the world, there is no answer except in Jesus. Sin ruined and continues to corrupt this world. This is becoming more and more clear to me. The world is not a good place. We need to stop assuming that the world is a good place. We need to stop assuming that every person is out of the goodness of their will and the goodness of their heart will do good things because that's not what the world is like. The world is full of selfish people trying to do selfish things for their own selfish ends and it's only because of Jesus. We live in a society that is built currently on Christian values. They are slowly being eroded for the sake of placing the individual above God where we worship the individual over God and we think that people are good. People aren't good. People are broken. And the systems of this world cannot solve the people's sin crisis. And all through history, all through the Bible, we are told about different stories of different people that try to intercede and mediate and try to deal with the issue of sin in society. The whole Old Testament, if you want to take one thing away, as you are reading the Old Testament, you're struggling the Old Testament, the Old Testament is basically a record of how humanity fails to save itself. Humanity cannot save itself because humanity is ruptured, corrupted, broken by sin. And the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible clearly teaches us. And the Bible clearly also teaches us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, what we need to realize is that the penalty of sin is death. If we see a person rape a child, we want punishment for that. There shouldn't be anything in us that goes, that's okay. If we see someone murder someone else, we should demand penalty. That's what a just society is like. But far more than we realize, sin has permeated every single part of our society. Every time we lie, every time we cheat, every time we steal, every time we act out of selfish ways, we are acting in sinful ways that demands a penalty, that demands a consequence. We have to be okay with that because without that simple premise, we don't have a just society. You do the crime, you do the time. And God as a just God necessarily informing and shaping and holding society together says there must 
be penalty. And so we have this concept as the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not something, it's not an impulsive anger that God has towards people. The wrath of God is that He is so sad and grieved by the brokenness of His creation. I created you to enjoy perfection. I created you to enjoy Eden. But yet you chose your own way. And that grieves Him. Every time we do something to hurt someone else, it breaks God's heart. It grieves Him because that's what sin does. Sin pulls us away from God. And so the Bible teaches us that we deserve every little bit of punishment that is due our way. But what Jesus did is this, John, 1 John 2 verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now the word propitiation is not a word we use in our everyday language, because it's a theological term. It means that Jesus has diverted all of the wrath of God that we deserve onto Himself. All of it. He has diverted the wrath of God. That's, he's become the propitiation for our sins. No human being can bear the sins of the whole world. No human being can bear that weight and come through. No human being can contain all of that. But Jesus as God can. Jesus as God is our ransom. He's our substitution. He is our atonement. He allows us to continue on to receive life and to have life because He has already been our propitiation, taking away the penalty, taking away death on Himself. It's only God that could break the power of death over our lives. Romans 5 verse 9 says, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? Now, if we kind of read it in that way and we think that Jesus and God are two separate things, it gets a bit confusing. God, uh, Jesus is saving us from God. It's like, well, God's the angry one, Jesus is the nice one. But when we remember that Jesus is God, how we can read this is that God saved us from the wrath of God. God saved us from the wrath that He knew was coming our way. God foresaw what our penalty, what our consequence, what our eternity would look like. He knew, and what did He do? He stood in our place. He bore the weight and brought us life and life everlasting. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Sin corrupts, sin destroys. But our God is above and beyond. He's able to take that and solve that. So whatever brokenness you experience in your life, God has a solution for Whatever thing you're going through that you don't get, God has a solution for. It might not always look like the answer we want, but it's always the answer we need. It's a bit Batman-like. Except in Batman, he's the one that we got. 
But Jesus isn't the one that we got. Jesus is the one that chose to. He's able to. He's given us examples of Moses and the prophets and how they were unable to turn us from our sinful ways. But Jesus can. So this morning, if we get the band up, why Jesus is God is so important to us is because without God, sin wins. Without Jesus being God, sin continues to win. And why we need to know this is because we get to invite Jesus into our lives and we get to put sin to death rather than let sin put us to death. We get to receive life and life to the full. That is the mandate of this church, that we inspire people to live to the life, that we have life to the full. Why? Because Jesus came. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that you can have life and life to the full. Come on, church. We need to, we need to get to a place where we, we, we see this and it needs to move our hearts. Come on, if your heart's not moved, you think that your sin isn't that great. If your heart is not moved by the salvation message, then you think that you're still good enough to achieve your own salvation. But in this moment, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives and in our hearts to help us to recognize the brokenness and sinfulness of our human nature. That we are in need of a Savior. We are in need. We are crying out for a Savior. Paul the Apostle, he recognized this as he was writing these words about how he has been struggling with sin. I do the things that I do not want to do. Why? Because sin is still at work in me. Oh, wretched man that I am. How am I going to break out of this? And he remembers, praise be to Jesus. Praise be to God. You're unable to worship God and give Him honor. You're unable to work out what life is meant to look like. You're unable to understand your place in this world. And I bet you you're going to get so tired fighting for yourself if you don't know Jesus is God. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever should believe in Him will have eternal life. Romans 10, 9-10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and note this, it doesn't say that Jesus is Savior or Messiah, it says Lord. To accept Jesus as Messiah, we also need to accept Him as Lord. We need to understand that He is God, that He's above. He's, he, 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 he is Number one, He is God. But if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning, I want to give people the opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe it in your heart. Romans 10.10 goes on to say, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So this morning, if I've, if Holy Spirit's been talking to you and you want to make this confession out of the belief in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then can you say this prayer with me? Every eye closed, every head bowed, say this prayer after me.
Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know that you are God and you deserve all praise. I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. And I know that I need you to break the power of sin in my life. Heal me. Make me whole. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.